Welcome to a new edition of the Neon Jazz Interview Series with California-based jazz trumpeter Carl Saunders. We caught up with him on April 30th, 2020 to talk about his latest 2020 CD, Jazz Trumpet, during this new COVID-19 world. Jazz listeners living in the Los Angeles area and musicians worldwide have long known that Carl is one of the great trumpet players around today. Originally from Indianapolis, his uncle is trumpeter band leader Bobby Sherwood, and he started playing trumpet in seventh grade and found that he had a natural ability mostly learning to play by ear and never having any lessons. He is full of wisdom and great insights. He's a great cat. Enjoy. How you doing? <laughs> I'm, hang- I'm hanging in there like a rat. Man, where, where are you located at? I'm in a, a little place called Valley Village, which is in between North Hollywood and Studio City. Okay. So, in Los Angeles. Okay, so how's everything going? How's everything going? Well, that's a, um, you know, probably about the same as as you. <laughs> no gigs, no rehearsals, no, um, uh, you know, no concerts, no uh, jazz clubs, no. Uh, uh, well, you know what it is. The same thing there, isn't it? Yeah, everything's shut down. Everything's surreal. Everything's strange. There's no timelines. Everything we were mm-hmm. taught our whole lives has been revoked in the last month and a half. Yeah, I got it. It's 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 around. <laughs> I know. <clears throat> uh, you said you want to do. You, you want to ask me about my impact. I, I like that when you said my impact on the jazz world. I didn't know I had one. <laughs> you do, man. You absolutely do. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Well, just trying to play bebop in a pure form. Well, you're doing that, and that's one of the reasons why I wanted to catch up in the course. The one way that I'm surviving through all of this is getting out and seeing some fresh air and some sunshine. Yeah, that's good. I've been riding my bike, you know, and uh, the neighborhood is, you know, just in the uh, residential area, no traffic and stuff, so I can buzz around on my bike and get, you know, get a little exercise and air and stuff people out walking their dogs and stuff. That's a good idea. You have family and stuff up there? Yeah, I got uh I got a I got a house full. We got we got four dogs, two cats, stepdaughter's son. I just got married in July and uh my mother in law is wow. living with us. So we got a menagerie wow. of heartbeats. Yeah, we're full of action. <laughs> <laughs> wow. A menagerie of heartbeats. Yes. <laughs> uh, I've never heard that phrase before. I've never said it. This is the first time. Maybe it's because it's International Jazz Day. I'm on to something. I don't know. <laughs> you're you're improvising. That's right. I'm doing what you guys do. It's, I'm just I'm standing on the shoulders of giants. <laughs> I dig. That's beautiful. I love it. So, um, you know, it is an extraordinary time for us. And the music has been silenced, which is very strange. So what, what are you doing creatively to keep your head in the game? Uh, there's really not much much to do. I mean, like some people are more high-tech uh, orientated, and uh, they're doing like streaming and, and stuff from home. Uh, I haven't really done that, I, you know, uh, um, you know, because the trumpet uh, – uh, somebody asked me I should play some piano, and because I've got a bunch of tunes, I just finished a tune uh, 
I've been working on a song with Alan Bergman. You know Alan Bergman? Yeah, absolutely. One of the one of the top greatest of all time, you know. And uh, uh, he and I worked on this song of mine, and uh, we just finished it. So I've been doing that. I've been working with him uh, on this uh, song, and uh, he named it, uh, it's a ballad I wrote, and he named it called Feels Like Home. And it's a nice tune. And uh, Alan used to come to Johnny Mandel uh, gigs when I play, uh, you know, lead trumpet with Johnny Mandel, and then I play Shadow of Your Smile and, and 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 do that trumpet solo. So Alan Bergman always liked me, and so we always we talked, and so finally we got together and and uh, wrote a tune together, and so it's really nice, you know. That's one of the things I've been doing, uh, and then I write a lot, you know. I go out to the piano in the evening and and uh, and write, and uh, I said while I'm writing, I get these thoughts like. I should start a company called the Who Gives a Shit Music Corporation. <laughs> yeah. I think that would sell now in this day and era. <laughs> yeah, no, like as nobody does, you know. But, you know, I've been writing tunes all my life, so it's kind of a habit thing that I do. And, and I've been noodling around on the trumpet a little bit, playing, uh, you know, just at, at home, you know, not doing too much. And, Actually, I haven't really been doing too much. And then the guy, there's a couple of piano players that are doing streaming things, but, I mean, they can play by themselves, you know. Where trumpet, uh, you know, you need a uh, some accompaniment, you know, to really do it. I mean, I could maybe do lessons or something, but I just haven't really jumped on it. And the main thing is uh, I can't get out to play golf. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Well, and that's the thing, you know, strangling all of these outside activities off and just, it's just, it's, it's such a, such a strange thing. But, you right, know, you're, yeah. you got Midwestern roots. You're from Indianapolis and you're living out in, you're living out in California. Now, talk to me a little bit about kind of, how did you get where you're at right now? <laughs> well, uh, I was born in Indianapolis, but, um, um, I, when I was a kid, uh, uh, my mother's brother, my uncle Bobby Sherwood, had a band, and and I was on the road uh, from zero to five. I mean, I didn't really live in Indianapolis. We lived in New York. My mom was singing with the, the band, and and uh, she, my my grandmother and grandmother were in Indianapolis, and so she went to Indianapolis to have me, and then went back to New York and went back on the road. So I was on the road. Then we moved, uh, when the big band era finished, we moved to Los Angeles and stayed with uh, a saxophone player that was playing with my Uncle Bobby's band, Dave Pell. You know, Dave Pell Octet, you probably heard of that, right? Yeah, yeah. And so the Dave Pell Octet was kind of hot back then and in, uh, in the 50s, 60s, and I was just a little kid. And, um, so... Uh, you know, I just was kind of around jazz and and um, good music when I was a kid and picked it up. And then we uh, moved to Las Vegas, uh, and that's where I spent most of my my uh, went to sc- high school in Las Vegas. So I was I wasn't on the East Coast or the West Coast. We called ourselves the Desert Coast <laughs> uh, in Vegas. And uh, and when I got out of high school. 
uh, I started playing in the show bands, you know, in Las Vegas. So I kind of got experience playing and, and stuff there. And the trumpet players were dropping like flies because the shows were so hard and, and two shows a night, six nights a week. So there was a lot of work for trumpet players. So I kind of got swept into that and, and then ended up, you know, traveling with uh, different uh, celebrity people from Las Vegas, you know, uh, I traveled with Robert Goulet, Paul Anka, and played with Tony Bennett, Ella Fitzgerald, all in, in Las Vegas. You know, that's where I did all that, you know. And I moved to L.A. in 84, and then I immediately started playing with Bill Holman's band. You're hip to Bill Holman, I'm sure. Yes. Yeah. I mean, he's, uh, <clears throat> well, I, we still, I've been playing with him for 30 years. Uh, we just rehearsed at the Union, and we've we've done quite a few albums together, and and uh, so that's how I kind of uh, uh, got a, got a, got from Indianapolis to Vegas to L.A. And uh, uh, I just wanted to Vegas was uh, not necessarily a great jazz town or a, or have any culture going on, so. Yeah, I went to down here to LA just to be around more jazz and more around more cultural uh, environment. And so um, then you know, here I am. Like uh, uh, I just uh, uh, started recording in the '90s. I got a few albums out on my own. Just to started doing it on my own and just uh, uh, you know, I don't promote that much. So, you know, I'm not a promoter like uh, calling people and saying, uh, hey, let me get this gig and let me do this and I'm this and I'm that. I was, I'm kind of a, um, I just let my music do my talking for me and hopefully that it says something. Oh, I think it does for sure. What do you like best <laughs> about being a musician? What's the most be- uh, enjoyable part of it? Well, I mean, I was always, you know, I always loved music. I was uh, surrounded by music when I was a kid, and uh, my grandmother was a classical pianist, had perfect pitch, and and uh, you know, my uncle had a big band on the road, and my my uh, my mom was a singer, had a radio show in Hollywood, and and uh, Stan Kenton was her piano player. That's how she got to know Stan. And then when I was 18 years old in Vegas. Um, uh, I, uh, my mom, uh, Stan came to Las Vegas at the Riviera hotel. And so my mom went down and talked to Stan cause she knew Stan and, uh, uh, got me an audition and, um, and I got on Stan's band when I was 18 years old out of Las Vegas. So I kind of started at the, <clears throat> at the top and, uh, uh, like I say, like kind of worked my way down to this, you know, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I've always wanted to be a musician. I mean, I've always loved music and, uh, like I was, like I said, I was on the road with my uncle Bobby, Bobby Sherwood when I was a kid and I listened to the band every night. And, uh, and then when we were at home, uh, my folks would play, you know, Rachmaninoff, Ravel, uh, the pretty classical music. So I was drawn to the beauty of music. I loved the beauty of music. And uh, even to this day, I 
my intent is to communicate beauty through music. And uh, that's what I try to do because music is a beautiful thing. And uh, I hear a lot of anger in music. Uh, you know, when you hear, uh, you know, the blue, you know, the, the, in Los Angeles, I hear they have the, the jazz station, but it's called the jazz and blues station, meaning they play blues on the weekend. And uh, uh, what they mean by blues is not uh, the blues that we play in jazz because I play blues all the time. You know, I mean, the blues is in jazz. But when they say blues, the blues station, they mean like what I call illiterate blues, meaning like guitar players going, bam, bam, just playing in three keys and it's uh, a baby, everything is all right, boom, 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 you know, like funky illiterate blues and that's what they play yeah. and uh, i mean i've got an article on my uh, website called uh, which kind of explains uh, some thoughts on the blues it's called and uh, it kind of explains the difference between the blues stations in this town and blues the difference between illiterate blues and literate blues meaning literate blues would be like Herbie Hancock, you know, I mean, he can play the funky blues, down, 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 Clark Terry, you know, they played blues with the real blues, funk, real funk, real class funk, literate funk, you know, uh, instead of illiterate funk. <laughs> you know the word yeah, I did get. Yeah. Believe me, we got a lot of blues here too, and I, I know there's sometimes we have a local station here and they'll put on certain hours of it. I'm like, man, I can't hang today. I'm out. No, it's illiterate uh, blues. And the, and blues is a beautiful thing. Blues is beauty. Blues is sadness. It's not anger. You know, it's sadness. And uh, people start using the blues as anger, you know, like angry music, like saying, you know, uh, you know, I'm my baby, blah, blah, blah. you know, that's like, you know, I hear anger, even with jazz people, I hear anger in their playing instead of uh, warmth and beauty, because uh, jazz is a beautiful thing. It's like swinging, happy, and uh, it's not, it's not a an anger, you know, that's what I hear, you know. I mean, I wish I was wrong, but I, I don't think I am, you know. Oh, no, I dig it. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, and so <clears throat> when the people write music, I think they should have beauty in mind, you know, and warmth and uh, uh, good things, uh, things to uplift people and make people happy. And that's what jazz does, always did to me. Uh, when it was swinging, there's nothing better than swinging. I mean, Duke Ellington said... Uh, you know, it don't mean a thing if it ain't got that swing. And he was right. You know, the swinging is a beautiful, the time feel of swinging. You know, ding, ding, boom, boom, ding, ding, It's like, whoa, catches your attention. And uh, uh, I always, uh, when I do clinics, I constantly talk about swinging, the mechanics and fundamentals of swinging, which is... Uh, uh, it's like the Chinese water torture. 
like uh, the Chinese figured out a way to drive people crazy uh, by dropping, tr- tying them down and dropping droplets of water on their forehead. Now, what drives them crazy is that the drops dripping in their eyes and their hands are tied and they can't get the water out of their eyes and finally it drives them crazy. No, it's the timing of the drops, the bink, 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 and then finally at first it hypnotizes them and then it, and if it keeps up, it drives them crazy. Like I ask the students when I do clinics, I ask them, how does a hypnotist um, uh, hypnotize somebody? And a little kid will say, well, they swing something in front of you. Swing, get it? They swing something in front of you. And swinging is what hypnotizes people. And <clears throat> if, if uh, we swing as jazz musicians, we will hypnotize the audience. And if we keep it up and, and don't stop and don't drag or rush and just keep in that bag and that groove and don't ever leave it, let it go, will eventually drive them crazy. And I think that's the responsibility for jazz musicians is to drive the audience crazy with, with the beat. And when the beat is, is, uh, is there, the swinging, like Duke Ellington said, the swinging is just the rhythm side of, of, of jazz. The other side of it is the chords and the, the melodies and the lines and, and the, the feeling and the funk. And the, uh, somebody asked me, <clears throat> I did a, a, a two uh, lectures at North Texas State University for the jazz program there a couple of years ago. And, and uh, I got up, uh, they introduced me and I got up on the stage and uh, we had like a, a big auditorium full of jazz majors. And uh, they introduced me, and I got up on the stage, and the first thing I asked them was, what is their definition of jazz? Now, I've got an auditorium of jazz majors. I asked them, what is their definition of jazz? Nobody raised their hand, not one. Everybody's looking around, see who's going to raise their hand. Nobody did. So I gave them, I told them, I said, uh, you people here, the reason you're here is jazz, and you can't define the reason you're here. And so I said, let me give you my definition of jazz, and if you can improve on it, please let me know, because I'm always ready to improve my definition. And my definition of jazz is intellectual funk with a hypnotic beat and wow that's you dig (laughs) oh totally dig i love it yeah yeah so the hypnotic beat is the hypnotization of the audience with just a beat not necessarily that's why rock and rollers rock and roll hypnotizes their audience to a certain extent is because they got that don't don't gink that straight eighth beat, which is easy to do. I mean, plonk 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 plonk. It's up and down, where jazz is horizontal. 
it's like you just like skimming a rock across the across a a pond but the art of swinging with jazz is to get that don't go don't go don't go that obvious beat that that rock and rollers feel what by by doing it uh, uh, horizontally meaning skimming it across the water like and that's why not i think that the reason jazz is a minority market, you know, it doesn't sell as many records as rock and roll and country and Western is because they're not swinging. They're not doing this thing that I'm talking about. The thing that Duke Ellington said, they're not swinging. They're more involved in these deep chords and, and, uh, uh, and the other thing is this far out jazz, you know, guys that are playing, Far out, like uh, <clears throat> Ornette Coleman and uh, Don Cherry, and those guys, they're playing all those far out weird notes that I even think is out. But and so if I think it's out, can you imagine what John Q. Public thinks about it? John Q. Yeah. Public says John Q. Public hates it. I hate it. You know, like the people that go try to play these out notes, try to experiment with jazz. And, you know, what they should be playing is music for the people, playing for the people and bringing people into jazz instead of, uh, you know, <laughs> just screwing them away from jazz by playing far out weird stuff. I mean, you know, I, and that's what people do. And I've, I, I am suspect, I've always been, suspect of the people that play out uh, as their un un inability to play in. I always thought that you should give jazz musicians a license to play outside. In other words, play if you can't play inside, you have no license and no right to go outside. And you should establish yourself as a knowledgeable inside player before you can have the license to go outside. And like John Coltrane did that in 1960. <clears throat> in, the in the late 50s, John Coltrane was playing the chord changes like a motherfucker, pardon my French. He was going, Scott playing Lover. Playing the chord changes like, a, like beautifully and <clears throat> in the late 50s. Then in 1960, he went out with Love Supreme. And he took it out, and he went this far out stuff. Now, I didn't like it what he did. I didn't like Train when he went out, and I uh, he he left me. But I respected him because he had a license to do it, because he played the chord changes in the late fifties to the extent that I knew that he knew what he was doing. Now he has a right to go outside if he wants. I don't agree with it, but he has the right. You dig what I'm saying? Yeah, I totally dig what you're saying. So, you know, yeah. we're going to get we're going to get back to a point where live jazz is going to happen again. And I want to know what revelations do you hope both audience and musician get during this time away? I don't know about this time away, but I'd like to use this opportunity to to, to share uh you know, your your forward thinking with uh, I think jazz has a, a bright future 
because if you stop to think about it and what I've found around the country, every high school has a jazz band now, you know, and the, 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 the band directors have marching band, concert band, uh, and jazz band. And so there are some kids that are in jazz band. Now there's, and then that's in every, every school. Um, I was uh, talking to the Las, Las Vegas Jazz Society. Uh, I'm on there, being from Las Vegas, they made me a, uh, a advisory board member there, you know, at, for the Las Vegas Jazz Society. And I uh, went to one of their meetings and I suggested that what they do is go out like the Las Vegas Valley. Now, Las Vegas isn't like Los Angeles as far as how wide and big it is. So there's maybe about 30 in Las Vegas. There's probably about 35 or high schools. What I told the Jazz Society to do was to send somebody out to each high school and talk to their band director and <clears throat> give their the kids in band free uh, a card of a free membership to the Las Vegas Jazz Society. Now, the the kids will go home. Now the kids are enthused because they're in jazz band. They're, they they like jazz. So you give them the the free membership card to the Jazz Society, then when they take which means they can come to the Jazz Society events, the concerts, jazz concerts around town that are uh, uh, that are produced by the Jazz Society, they can come free, but they have to bring their parents, which means their parents have to pay or encourage their parents to join the Jazz Society because their kids are in it. And, their kids, and the parents like to support their kids, so that will create more Jazz Society members and more appreciation of jazz. I mean, uh, which is one way one way to do it in the schools in each town with jazz societies. It's just an idea, and uh, I think that there's a, you know, pretty good. Uh, I mean, they don't have rock and roll band uh, in in school. They don't have country and western band in school. They have jazz band, and it's pretty wild. That's why I see kind of a future. Uh, a positive future of jazz. I mean, we'll always be outnumbered by the populace of people liking rock and roll and country and western because it's easy to appreciate. You know, it's more easy to appreciate gong 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 than ching because it's a little more highly evolved. When I talk to uh, <clears throat> uh, clinics and and kids, I always tell them. And and also when I do gigs at at uh, jazz clubs or or clinics concerts and stuff, I tell the audience that they're more highly evolved than their average people, because it's true. In other words, the reason that they're in listening to a jazz concert is because they're more highly evolved, <laughs> and they love that. But it's true, <laughs> right? <laughs> That's wild. That's awesome. right? Yeah, I dig it. I dig it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Man, you said some things I've never heard before. This was completely illuminating. Thank you for taking a little (laughs) time out during this global pandemic to talk jazz. 
You dig? Yeah, yeah. well, I hope a couple of things I said maybe you can make some sense out of. I don't know. Thanks for listening and tuning in to another Neon Jazz interview where we give you a bit of insight into the finest cats in Los Angeles, Kansas City, and spots all over the world, giving fans all that jazz. And thanks to Carl for his time, music, and story. If you want to hear more interviews, go to Famous Interviews with Joe Davino on the iTunes Store. Visit Neon Jazz at YouTube.com for everything Neon Jazz all the time. Go to the neonjazz.blogspot.com. Until next time, enjoy the jazz, my friends. Neon Jazz.